Everything that's happening right now has the potential to make us anxious and worried and doubtful of the future. But as we just sang about and as we just heard from the scripture, we have a king and he's been elected to an eternal term. And he's sovereign and he's powerful and he's loving and as TGD just mentioned, he governs those who govern us. And I'm just thankful for that. So today, we're going to talk about that king. And that's the point. We have been studying through the book of James, and we took last week off, and we had sort of told you how we were going to plan to get back into this week. But as I spoke last week and reflected on that message uh, this coming, this past week, I thought about what today should be about, what today should be reflected on. You know, we had the election and the election results, and those are still pending. But it's communion week, and it's, it's a time that we typically pause and reflect and remember what our Lord Jesus has done for us. And I thought there was no better lesson than to remember a king for everything that is going on right now. And so we're going to pause James for one more week. We'll get back into it next week, Lord willing. And today we're going to talk about a lesson we're going to title, The Hands of Jesus. The Hands of Jesus. And we'll do communion following the service. And we encourage those who aren't with us to partake of communion in your own way. But uh, after the service, we will partake of communion. Today, we're going to look at a passage from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. A small passage, but a very powerful passage. And we'll get there in a minute. Is anyone good at prioritizing your life? Anyone good at that? Anyone good at keeping the proper priorities in, in the proper order? Yeah, I don't think anybody is. Uh, does anybody like quizzes? Anybody like tests? Luke, are you a good test taker? Does anyone like quizzes? Too bad. Today you're going to get one. It's all about priorities, okay? And this, I actually want feedback, even though we're missing several people today. I want feedback today, okay? Now, I, I'm throwing you a softball right over the plate. You can hit these home pretty easily, okay? But I want you to answer back. I'm going to ask you what is called a priority quiz. And I have 10 questions, and I want you to answer out loud with your hand, whatever you want to do. And let me know, it's a multiple choice, which I always hated. I always thought those are the worst tests. But it's a multiple choice question with four answers for every question, and I want you to give me the right answer according to what would be the best priority. Okay? Number one, if your house was on fire and you only had moments to get out before it burned to the ground, would you, A, finish watching your TV show? A. Um, for you, Matlock. Uh, B, try to save a few valuables first. Whatever those valuables would be. You're, you're already voting before you get the other answers? Uh, C, try to put the fire out with your garden hose. Or D, get everyone out as quickly as possible. What do you think? Let's, let's hear from the audience. Anyone for finish watching your TV show? Okay. I just had to ask. How about save a few valuables first before you get out? We had one back there. Sticking to it? He's sticking to it. Uh, how about try to put the fire out with your garden hose? Anybody think they could pull that off? Bob? Okay. All right. That's a pretty powerful garden hose. And D, get everyone out as fast as possible. Yes, that's what I'm going to go for because I would not be good at the other ones. Yeah, get the garden hose? Hey, might be a small fire. Yeah, I, well, it's, it's going to burn. This one, this one is going to burn your house to the ground, so it doesn't sound small. Uh, how about this one? Number two, if you had $100 to spend for the entire week, would you A, go out for a fancy dinner? You can't vote yet. B, bet it all on lottery tickets. C, spend it as quickly as possible to make life more exciting. You can't vote for all of them. You get one vote. Or D, carefully parcel it out to make it last all week long. Let's go with A. Who would go out to a fancy dinner? Anyone go out to a fancy dinner? All right. But bet it all on lottery tickets? Anyone think that's going to be successful? How about C? C, spend it all and make life interesting? Get it out of the way? Go to Barnes & Nobles? Okay. That's specific. How about this one? Carefully parcel it out and make it last all week long. That's what most of us would try to do. It might not work very well, but we would try to do that. All right, number three. If a tornado, a tornado was coming toward your house, and this actually happened in Iowa, we had, so we had some near, near misses, would you A, mow your lawn? Would you B, reply to several Facebook posts on your computer? Would you C, eat all the leftovers in your fridge? Remember, the tornado is coming at your house. 
or D, get downstairs and get as safe as possible? Anyone vote? Yeah, D? Okay, we're all going with D on that one? Yeah, let's not mess around with a tornado. D? Yeah, that's a good answer. All right, we're doing well. Number four, if a neighbor came to your house and asked you to let them in because someone was trying to kill them, would you A, tell them a funny joke? People like jokes. <laughs> right? Laughter's the best medicine. <laughs> Maybe not this time. Um, B, ask them what they thought about the election results. Is that a good time to ask them? C, prank them several times by pretending to open the door and then shutting it. Is that a good time for a prank? Or D, open the door as quickly as possible and then call 911. Oh, you're seeing a pattern here, right? And that's kind of the point. Number five, if your child had a bad bloody nose, would you sit them down and tell them about a time you had a really bloody nose? Would you B, give them a sucker to make them feel better? Because suckers, they cure everything, I've noticed. C, would you scold them for picking their nose and then post a picture of them on Instagram with a hashtag Monday vibes? Or would you D, help them stop the bleeding? Okay, hopefully it's D. Number six, if you want a five-minute shopping spree to your grocery store, would you use that shopping spree to A, find the best-looking apple you could buy? Take five minutes and find the best apple. Would you B, try to pick out the best greeting card you could find for an upcoming birthday? Would you use all five minutes to get the best kind of greeting card? C, would you complain to the manager that you have to wear a mask in the store? Or D, would you make a beeline to the steak and lobster, throwing as many expensive items in your cart as you could before the time ran out? All right, there you go. D again. All right, a few more. Number seven, if you saw a bear running after you, would you A, try to figure out what type of bear it was by checking Google? Would you B, try to get a selfie with it? Some people might in our society. Uh, C, try to reason with it and encourage it to think clearly before he attacked you. Or D, run. Take a selfie? All right. It'd be your last selfie, but it'd be a good one. No. Running with you? Well, you just want to outrun them? Outrun them, not the bear. Uh -huh. just, them. just trip them. That's a weird strategy for a pastor. But okay. We're having fun. We need to have fun a little bit today. Number eight. If you knew your boss had to lay someone off at your job, and the next person that messed up was going to be fired, would you A, call him Monday morning and tell him that you were going to take the week off for a much-needed staycation? Would you B, demand a raise, giving him an ultimatum, saying, if I don't get a raise, I quit? Would you C, come up behind him during an important meeting, giving him two wet willies in front of everybody? Or D, would you be on your best behavior at all times? Most of us would be on our best behavior. All right, two more. Number nine, if a bank, if your bank made an announcement that the first 50 customers of the day would get a free $20,000 deposit into your account, first 50 customers would receive a free $20,000 deposit into your account. Would you A, hit the snooze button on your alarm to get nine more minutes of sleep? Would you B, let your sore throat and runny nose keep you at home? Would you C, call the bank and complain that it's not $50,000 free, free deposit money? Or would you D, camp out overnight and make sure you were one of the first 50 customers, right? No matter how cold or uncomfortable that would be, we would probably camp out. I mean, people do for Black Friday. They camp out for Black Friday. This is $20,000. And then one more to set up our lesson today. If you had 50 to 60 years to live upon this earth and then spend an eternity either apart from your creator or with your creator, would you A, enjoy as much sin as you could? B, make all the memories you could and check everything off your bucket list? Would you C, fight for your rights and freedoms upon the earth? Or D, give everything and live for the one who died to save you from an eternity apart from your creator. Priorities is where we're going today, if you can't figure that out by now. Priorities. We're going to talk about the hands of Jesus. And let's look at the passage now from Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. This is a small but very powerful passage. Listen to the word of God. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Today I get to do my favorite thing in the entire world. I get to declare and boast in my Lord Jesus. That's about the best thing that I can find to do as a pastor and even a Christian is to boast and declare the value and the beauty of my Lord Jesus. We have a very simple outline, okay, today. A very simple outline. We're going to look at four things. Number one, number one, the hands of Jesus created and guides the world. That's number one. Number two, the hands of Jesus upholds the universe. Number three, the hands of Jesus secured our redemption. And number four, Jesus is now and forever at the right hand of God. That's our outline for today. I hope this is powerful, this is encouraging to you today, it was for me. Number one, let's look at this, the hands of Jesus created and guides the world. He says, the writer of Hebrews says this, once again, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Where did we come from? How did we get here? Where did we come from? That is an age-old question. You guys know that, right? Every single generation has asked this question and tried to find answers to the question. Where did we come from? How did we get here? Why are we here? We all scurry about. We all do things. We all go places every single day of our life. Did you guys ever play that old video game called Sim City? Anyone ever play that game? Sim City. There was this game that I played for the computer. I don't know, 20, I'm dating myself here, 20, 25 years ago called Sim City. In this video game, it was quite interesting. You would create a town, and whatever you put in the town, you would watch the people in the town scurry about your town and go to certain places and do things that you put there. I used to play that game, and I always thought it was so interesting that no matter what I put in my town, whether it was a restaurant or a movie theater or a gym or a park or a bank or a sidewalk leading to nowhere... These people would, would go there and would do it and would scurry about my little town. No matter what I put there, they would, they would just make it a part of their lives. And they did things just because I put it there. And I always thought that was interesting, that no matter what I did, those people would do it. And yes, I know that's a video game. and Those are virtual people. But you know what I find interesting? I feel like sometimes we're a real-life version of SimCity. I mean, why do you watch those shows that you watch? Why do you buy the things that you buy? Why do you download the apps that you download? Do you ever ask those questions? Why do I? Why should I? Why is everyone else? Sometimes I just think we're so mindless and so accustomed to going certain ways based on what we see from everyone else. We just do it mindlessly. We just live our lives and we don't think a lot about what we're doing and why we're doing it. We find joy in some things. We find pain in other things. We have governments and kingdoms, we have banks and farms, we have schools and offices, towns and villages, parks and playgrounds, jails and country clubs, and everything in between. <laughs> but where did we come from? Why are we all here? And what is the purpose of human beings and mankind upon the earth? Do you ever ask these type of questions? Because I do. And I'm a pastor and I know the answers. But I still find myself asking the big questions. How can we act mindlessly upon the earth without consideration of what we're doing and why we're doing it? And the nagging question the whole world has is, where did we come from and why are we here? Well, we have a spoiler for you today, okay? Spoiler alert. We came from the mind of God. The complex and beautiful mind of God has created every single person. And we've just read it from Colossians chapter 1. That is why we're here. We were created by Jesus and for Jesus. This Jesus that we bring up a lot on Sundays, and most of us, he's a pretty big deal, pretty big part of our lives. He's actually more. He's more than we say he is. He's more than we think he is. 
Jesus is more than we give him credit for. Did you know that? Much more. This Jesus is everything to everyone, whether they know it, whether they admit it or not. Jesus is everything. See, God is the creator and designer of all things, and he's telling us today in the clearest of language from Hebrews chapter 1, how and through whom he created everything that we know of. Now, God doesn't need the help of anybody to do anything, does he? God doesn't need anybody's help. He is almighty by his very nature. God doesn't need the help of any other being. That's what it means to be almighty. You can accomplish anything on your own. But in God's infinite wisdom and foreknowledge, he saw fit to hand every creative liberty to his son, Jesus, whom the writer tells us is the very imprint of God's nature. Now, I have identical twins. It's, it's interesting to see my twins act similar and be interested in the same things, and they find the exact things hilarious. No matter what, they always think the same things are funny because they're identical twins. They look alike, they act alike. But even my twins have different footprints and fingerprints, right? They're, they're different people. They have different DNA strands. Jesus is the very imprint of God's nature. Exactly the way God thinks, exactly the way God acts, exactly the same things he loves and he hates, Jesus is exact. He's a different person, but he is exactly like God, making him God. Jesus is God in every sense that it is to be God. Jesus is God. When the God of the universe puts all of his eggs in one basket, his son, He's telling us a couple things. Number one, he's telling us this. Jesus is a can't miss. If God of the universe doesn't hedge his bets because Jesus could potentially fail him and he needs a plan B, if the God of the universe uses such boastful language about this Jesus, and if this Jesus is even one notch removed from God's plan, then God should have a plan B but he doesn't. God is telling us today that Jesus is perfect. He's a can't miss. He is the only one who is capable of everything that God desires. Jesus is a can't miss. He's a guarantee. He's perfect. There is no plan B. There is no contingency. That's the first thing God is telling us today. Jesus is a can't miss. Number two, he's telling us to pay very close attention to this Jesus. Pay very close attention. Did you know two times in Scripture God spoke from heaven audibly that we know of? And both times he said the same thing. Twice a voice came from heaven. An audible voice came from heaven. And twice it said the exact same thing. Now, do you think if God spoke audibly from heaven, that would be something you would pay attention to? You would listen very closely to what that God was saying. If he was going to not send his Bible or send a minister or send a prophet, he was going to audibly speak from heaven. Do you think that would be an important message? Both times he said this. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He's telling us today, don't miss Jesus. It is all in Jesus. If you get one thing right, listen to him. We would pay attention to that, wouldn't we? If we heard that from heaven, do you think you'd think about that for the rest of the day, rest of the week, rest of the year, going, man, I heard God speak from heaven, and this is what he said. This is my son. Listen to him. If we miss this Jesus, guys, and his significance to our lives, it's on us. It's not on God. God has done everything possible to let us know it's all Jesus. He sent his prophets, which Hebrews tells us. He gave us his scriptures, 66 books. If you've ever read the Bible, can you miss Jesus? Can you neglect you? Can you miss Jesus by just by reading the Bible? Will you overlook him? No. He makes it so clear that it's all Jesus. And he even sent Jesus himself to the earth so that we would know how incredibly, incredibly important Jesus is to our lives and our future. Yet, Jesus is not getting from us what he deserves. 
with all of that said, with all of that done by God, we still withhold things from Jesus Christ. We still don't get him, give him what he exactly deserves. deserves. See, God made his son both the creator of all things and the only heir of every treasure of God. He's the creator of all things, and he's the only heir of every treasure. He's the A to Z of God's plan. He's the A to Z of God's purpose. He's the A to Z of God's will. There is no other. There is no rival. There is no plan B. It's Jesus, only Jesus. And God's not ashamed of it. And we came from this Jesus. We came from him. He is your creator. He is my creator. Guys, unlike SimCity, this is real life. Okay, this is real life. This isn't a myth. This isn't a story time. This is real life. In fact, it's more real than the very life you have upon this earth. Your relationship and connection to God through Jesus is the most real life you have or can find. He's telling us today what is real. I want you to take, we mentioned the word selfie. I want you to take a mental selfie right now, okay? I don't want you to take your phone out, but take a mental selfie. And I want you to consider, who gets the credit for you? Who gets the credit for your existence? Why are you here? Why do you look the way that you look? Why are you alive today? And I want you to thank the Lord, even right now in this moment. Thank him because you're not here unless he created you uniquely by his design, crafting you according to his image, giving you life. You're not here. Before we can call Jesus our Lord and Savior, we have to say that he's our creator. He's the author of our very existence. He is the reason I began life on earth. He's the reason I woke up this morning, Jesus. See, Jesus did not come into the picture when we became sinners. According to scripture, Jesus designed each of us and breathed life into each of us. We're not Christians because we need someone to praise and someone to serve. We're Christians because Christ is our maker, and we know it. But before we move on, the writer of Hebrews tells us that this Jesus didn't only create the world and then take his hands off. Like a watchmaker who would make a watch and then just sort of let the watch operate according to its design. No, this Jesus who created us takes a very personal approach in instructing us and guiding us the proper way so that we aren't fatally wounded and fatally harmed. See, before Jesus came, God chose men. We would call them prophets for his task of telling the people the truth of God. His prophets came and they declared to the people, this is what God is, this is what God says, this is what we need to do. It was men like me, prophets, people upon the earth. But when Jesus came to this earth, prophets were no longer needed. We don't need prophets anymore. We have Jesus, we have his testimony, we have the written word of God. We have Jesus. Jesus came to this earth both physically and eventually he resided in our hearts through his Holy Spirit. I mean, think about that. Jesus takes residence in your heart through his Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. And once that happened, Jesus took a very direct way in instructing us. It was no longer through the prophets. It was now very personal, very intimate, very direct. Jesus to your mind. Jesus to your ears. Jesus to your heart. Yes, pastors and ministers are important, okay? But our creator, Jesus, now speaks directly to us through his word and through his spirit. We were not only created by Jesus, but he comes alongside each one of us every single day. He tutors us. He teaches us his truth just like a good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. They go the way I want them to because I shepherd them. And I want you to be thankful for that today. Be thankful that Jesus Christ is your good shepherd. He doesn't let you wander off the cliff. He doesn't let you wander into the wolf's den. He takes care of you. He watches over you. He guides you. He protects you. He disciplines you when he needs to, to keep you alive. He is the singular reason you're still alive, and he's the singular reason you're on the path of God today. We, myself, you, do not get credit for living. We do not get credit for knowing truth. Jesus gets 100% of the glory, does he not? For our lives and our understanding of who God is. We owe it all to the very hands of Jesus. If you say you're a Christian, it shouldn't be hard for you to boast about your Lord Jesus. 
That shouldn't be difficult. That shouldn't be something you have to really work hard at. It should pour forth from you. We shouldn't hear more about your sports team or your TV show or your favorite politician than we hear about your Lord and your Creator and your Savior. Because Jesus is your everything. You take Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ away from your life, you aren't here. You don't have any hope, and you're doomed. But if you have Jesus Christ, everything good comes from him. And that's the first thing a writer of Jesus, or the writer of Hebrews is telling us today, is that Jesus Christ is your creator, but he also guides you very personally. Number two, the hands of Jesus upholds the universe. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And listen to this, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let's say that again. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We're funny beings. You and I are funny beings. Every single day and every single night, our hearts continue to beat. Breath continues to enter our lungs. And we just consider it's always been that way and it always will be that way. Without giving a steady stream of praise to the one who makes our hearts tick and the one who makes our brains function. The fact that we have penciled out time today for watching football or our favorite TV shows or to take a nap, but to not offer praise and thanksgiving to the Lord until maybe Thanksgiving Day proves we're funny creatures. We often waste our beautiful and complex minds on mundane things of the earth, things that will eventually pass away. That's what we give our minds to. But we owe everything we have to the precious hands of Jesus but he barely hears it from us. Everything we have that is good comes from him, yet he barely hears it from us, according to what he should. It's the same with our knowledge of the universe around us. Right now, the earth, did you know this? The earth, according to scientists, is spinning about a thousand miles an hour on its axis. But to my knowledge, no one has been flung off the earth into space, Because God gave laws to govern us, to keep us from falling off the earth. But the earth is spinning a thousand miles an hour on its axis. The earth makes a continual regular journey around the sun. And we think it's common. Normal occurrence. The sun and the massive planets right now are suspended in space. Perfectly in place according to their marked destinations, and they never, ever move outside of it. If the sun moves slightly toward the earth, we all burn to death. If the sun moves slightly away from earth, we'd all freeze to death. But we consider this normal. Normal, because it's always been that way. It's normal that that happens, that all these massive planets and sun stay suspended in space and go around their orbits over and over and over. But the writer of Hebrews wants to train us better than that, guys. He doesn't want us to act like mindless heathens. He says to us, He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. The reason that happens is because Jesus makes it happen. That means that the universe would not do what it's doing right now unless Jesus caused it to happen. The earth would spin too fast and fall out of its course. The sun would float too close to the other planets and burn them all up. The planets would drop out of their orbits and spiral through space. Why doesn't that happen? Because Jesus doesn't let it. Even the very atoms of our bodies. Do you guys know we have a lot of atoms? Atoms, you know what those are, right? You guys ever heard of those? Atoms that are inside of our body. How many atoms do you think we have in our body, if you could guess? Now, I was guessing billions. Is that too high? Would you guys say billions of atoms? More? Anyone say more than that? More? Yeah, there's a few more. Seven with 27 zeros after it. I didn't even know this was a number. Seven octillion atoms inside every single body. Or you could say it this way, 7 billion, billion, billion atoms inside every single human body. How do they all go the right way? How do they all stay where they should? 
I mean, I have six kids. I can barely get them into a vehicle. <laughs> seven octillion atoms? And God and Jesus is governing seven octillion atoms. Do you think he's in control of what's happening right now on the earth? If he can take care of seven octillion atoms in one person? Times it by whatever, eight billion or whatever is on the earth right now. Even, uh, we, we showed a picture. Go back to that last picture, Luke. You guys ever seen one of those um, science projects where the kid makes the solar system? And Anyone ever do that as a kid? Have to make the solar system and bring it in? And I, I just thought it was interesting, I was reflecting on this, that something has to hold those planets up. And I found this picture of this kid. He had to like put little sticks in them to keep the planets up because why, why would the planets stay where he wants them to? Well, you would make a solar system and the planets just stay where they are and they go around the sun, but that doesn't happen. We have to make sticks and little wires to keep those planets up. And that's just interesting to think about. Those are small little paper mache or whatever they are, things of paper, and we have to hold them up. But God right now, Jesus Christ, is holding the universe up. And to us, it's normal. It's mundane. It's no big deal. But it's not normal, guys. It's amazing. It's unique, and it's awe-inspiring. Our Lord Jesus is holding that together. He's holding us together. His hands, not the strength of them necessarily, but the governing power of his word behind those hands holds the universe in place. And if you went to a gym, if any of you work out and go to a gym, and you saw on that particular day, someone benching a crazy amount of weight, 750 pounds, okay? A guy's able to bench 750 pounds. I mean, just something crazy, something you've never seen before, and you're going, wow, is that guy strong? He just benched 750 pounds, but then a guy comes in after this guy, and he benches 1,000 pounds without lifting his arms by speaking to the weight. Which one would be stronger? Which one would be more amazing? The one who can bench 750 pounds or the one who can lift 1,000 pounds with his voice? Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And unless he continues to hold the universe together and our bodies together, we're dead immediately. Have you ever praised him for that? You ever praised him for keeping your body and your seven octillion atoms going? <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm going to start praising him for that because that's amazing. And it's stuff, it's stuff that we're exploring now, and scientists are able to look at the solar system and the body and going, man, look how complex it is. But it's all normal. And it's not. It's not normal. It's amazing. And it's awe-inspiring. And regardless of our awareness of this Jesus or not, we owe everything we have to his precious hands. We shouldn't need a worship leader to worship. I'm thankful for worship leaders but we shouldn't need one to worship. I used to ask that question about cheerleaders in sports. No offense to anybody who was a cheerleader, but I, I actually asked this question, do we really need cheerleaders? Really? I mean, do we really need them? We seem to be pretty good at cheering for our athletes on our own. Do we really need cheerleaders? But we need worship leaders because we fail to worship our Lord unless somebody reminds us. Why is that? We're funny creatures. It's not ignorance. We know this. We've heard this before. This is probably speaking to the choir. What it is, it's willful neglect that we owe everything we have to this Jesus. Everything. He's your creator. He's your life giver. The athletes, the musicians, the movie stars we praise and devote ourselves to, they don't even know we're alive. And they never think about us. They want their own glory. They want their own money. Yet we give them our praise. We're funny creatures. That makes no sense entirely. But every single moment of the day, Jesus holds our seven octillion atoms together and he makes sure that we're taken care of. How much praise is he worthy of? Does he know, does he hear from you how thankful you are for his love? Is praise and church optional to you? What if you don't do it? Is that a big deal? If you understand who this Jesus is, you owe everything you have to him. Everything. And so do I. Moving on. Number three, the hands of Jesus secured our redemption. Verse three says, after making purification for sins, 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, we're not going to linger on this one long because we're going to come back to this one during communion. But Jesus didn't hit a salvation button or forgiveness button in heaven, and we were just forgiven. Okay? I want to forgive them. I want to save them. I'm going to hit this button, and that will all happen. No. He came to the earth. He laid those precious hands on a wooden cross, and he let his enemies drive railroad-type nails into those hands so that you and I would be forgiven and saved for all eternity. Why am I forgiven? Why are you saved? His hands. He came to die for you specifically. Put your name there. Put your name there. He came to die for you. For you. He loves you more than anyone else in your life by a huge margin. He loves you more. Jesus, therefore, deserves more of you than anybody. He deserves your entire self. We're going to come back to this one, but every one of us owes our forgiveness and our eternal hope to the precious hands of Jesus, who willingly, willingly laid him on the cross so that we might live forever. As the old psalmist says, does your heart pant for him like a deer who pants for water? The psalmist said that. My heart pants for you, Lord. That's what I crave. I want your presence. I want, your, I want you pleased. I want you happy. I want you to know how thankful I am. My heart pants for you like a deer pants for water. We'll come back to that one for communion. Number four, before we close, Jesus is now and forever at the right hand of God. Listen to verses three and four again. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We mentioned how God declared Jesus to be sovereign, supreme one over all things. That was God's doing. Don't feel bad about giving everything to Jesus. God made it that way. God did. God the Father. And the way that we know it was God's plan is what happened to Jesus after he died on the cross. After Jesus died, which was a journey of horrible suffering and humiliation, after that journey, something amazing happened. As soon as Jesus died, a new journey began, one of unbelievable exaltation and glory. See, three days after Jesus died, he stepped out of his tomb as if he had never died. He was alive again. He was functioning like he did before. He conquered death. He beat it. Now, some of us beat sicknesses and illnesses, and we're praying for that today. But Jesus beat death. He died and came back from death. Do you know anyone else who has that kind of power? Anyone else who has that kind of power? Nobody. Then Jesus visited people. He ministered. He taught. He traveled the nations with the message of hope and forgiveness. After he died, dead people cannot do that. Jesus conquered death. But only days after his resurrection, Jesus met up with his disciples, and he told them he was leaving the earth. And what he meant is that he was going to ascend into the sky and return back to heaven where he came from. And he did. They watched it happen. The disciples met with Jesus and they watched and looked up into the sky as Jesus ascended into the sky and into the clouds and out of their sight. And he was gone. I want you to imagine that. This Jesus, who you were following and listening to and hearing from, and then he died and you're like, oh, he's dead, it's over. And then he rises from the dead and then you see him again and then... A few days later, he ascends into the sky. If he wasn't the son of God before then, he was now. He just ascended back to heaven. But where Jesus arrived is actually the bigger story. This is incredibly important to us. You might imagine that when Jesus returned to heaven, his God, God the Father, embraced his son Son, I missed you. He put his arms around him and invited him back into their house, into their dwelling place. And he gave his son a portion of his praise and a portion of his riches. Here you go, son. Have a little bit of what I have. But that's not at all what took place. Listen to what it says in Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God, the Father, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of what Jesus did by coming to this earth and dying to save his people, God gave his son the very throne of God. He was given a seat that until then had never existed. The right hand of the throne of God. Jesus sat down in the highest position there is. And that position is incredibly important. It means that Jesus is the most important person there is because it was validated and declared when God said, take a seat here. Now, God the Father still keeps his throne, okay? He is still on his throne. He will always have his position as God and sovereign ruler of all. But now he shares it with his son, Jesus. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is King of kings. Jesus is the God of the universe. As most of you know, Pastor Mel and I, my dad, are both your pastors. At Wyoming Valley Church, we are both your pastors. I'm your lead pastor, and Pastor Mel is my assistant pastor, which makes him my slave. Exactly. Finally. I was waiting for this day. <laughs> no, as I've said before, Pastor Mel was a natural candidate to become the lead pastor of Wyoming Valley Church, but Pastor Mel stepped aside to the plan and the will of God, and he let his son take a position above him, which is pretty amazing humility. But God the Father gave his son everything. Everything of value, everything of praise, everything of adoration. In fact, he wants it that way. He tells us as his people, give everything to Jesus. Give everything to him. Give him your entire lives. Give him all your praise. Don't hold anything back. Give it all to my son. Everything that I have belongs to him. If you miss this Jesus, you're going to die forever. Give everything you have to him. And he also gave Jesus the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus means king. King of kings. Sovereign ruler, Lord of all creation. Jesus is on the throne of God, and God the Father made his son, Jesus, the heir of everything. So there's going to be two groups of people in eternity. Two groups. Those who love and serve Jesus and think he's everything. And those who hated him, and now are his footstool for his feet. You either love Jesus or you warm his feet as eternal slippers as you burn in hell. Because Jesus gets everything. He gets everybody. One way or the other, he gets everybody. He either gets your praise willfully or you submit to him in a very different fashion. But either way, Jesus will get everybody and everything for the rest of eternity because God stamped it that way. Because of what you've done, because of what you did on the cross, because you redeemed my people, Jesus, you get it all. You get it all. No one will evade praising you. No one will evade bowing to you. No one will evade submitting to you. They have a choice to, but one day they will bow. One day they will confess that you are king. This means that not only is Jesus the creator and shepherd of every single person, but he is the sovereign sustainer of the universe. He's the savior and the only redeemer of sinners, and he's also the king of everything. Everything. I don't care if it's Trump or Joe Biden. Every ruler bows to Jesus. Putin, Kim Jong-il, Adolf Hitler will all bow to Jesus Christ. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all and he is going to be glorified even by those who hate him. And notice this phrase, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Because of this truth, where, God, where Jesus is right now on the right hand of God on the throne, we can say confidently, Jesus is the very hands of God. Everything God does, he accomplishes through Jesus. And everything Jesus does is what God desires. Everything. So, when we give our lives to Jesus, we give our lives to God. When we give our love to Jesus, we give our love to God. When we submit to Jesus, we submit to God. 
when we neglect Jesus, we neglect God. When we disobey Jesus, we disobey God. Whatever we give to Jesus, we give to God. Whatever we do for Jesus, we do for God. And whatever we fail to do for Jesus, we fail to do for God. And God made it this way. Don't neglect to obey your Lord Jesus. The precious hands of Jesus is why you have life. It's why I have life. It's why we have a purpose. It's why we have hope. It's why we have forgiveness. It's why we have a future. It's why we have an eternal loving relationship with the God of the universe. Jesus is not your Sunday thing. He's not your religion. He's not just the guy who saved you from hell. Jesus is either everything or nothing. And if he's everything, and he is, we need to start acting like it. I'm tired of seeing apathy in the church. I'm tired of seeing people give Jesus portions of their time whenever it fits in their schedule. I'm tired of Jesus being in the mix of sports and other hobbies and things that people enjoy doing. I'm tired of seeing Jesus one ingredient in the stew pot of our lives. When we do that, we disobey what God has said about Jesus. That's not what he said Jesus is. He said, give him everything or you don't understand and you don't believe. He's a clear-cut number one. Is he a clear-cut number one in your life? If someone defined you, tell me in one or two words what they are about. Is Jesus, only Jesus, the thing that comes up? See, if you truly understand this, then you should do what is obvious. What some are going to seem ridiculous in their minds is going to be obvious to you. What every single person who understands this truth about our Lord Jesus seems obvious to them is that they will lay their life down for Jesus and make his will their singular desire and ambition. See, that's strange if you don't understand this Jesus. If he's a portion of your life, then yeah, I'll give him some things. I'll give him a little bit. Whenever it fits into my schedule, I'll give Jesus a little bit. But that's not what God says, is it? He's everything. And if you understand that he's everything, then what does he get from you? And the answer is quite obvious. He gets everything. See, it's all thanks to the hands of Jesus. And now Jesus in heaven is asking for something. He's asking for something from us. He's asking us to be his hands upon the earth. Because he's not here any longer. He resides within us, and he wants us to be his hands upon the earth and continue the work that he started. Can I share a little bit of an analogy? I just, I don't know if your mind works this way, but sometimes my mind just works funny. And I was driving on the interstate the other day, and I shared this analogy with, with Grace the other day. And I just thought about this going, man, this, this makes sense. I was driving on the interstate, uh, the turnpike, and somewhere down the road, maybe a mile down the road, it was just one of those flat parts of the road. I was just able to see a long distance. And about a mile ahead of me was something really shiny on the road. And I couldn't tell what it was, but it was brilliant. It was glowing. It was, it was really shiny. And my, I just fixed my eyes on it going, what is that? Is it some kind of diamond or jewelry? I mean, what is glowing on the, on the highway? And so for the entire mile, I'm focusing on this thing, waiting to get close to see what it is. You know, it was like a UFO, but it was on the, on the, on the road. And I'm like, man, what is this? What is glowing on the, on the road? I've never seen such a thing. And as I got next to the thing, um, it was a kind of anticlimactic. Do you know what it was? A little reflector sticker. That's all it was. A reflector sticker fell off one of the medians and was laying on the road. And the thing was shining so brilliantly because of how the powerful the sun was that day. The sun was out in its full brilliance. And this thing was reflecting such sunlight that it was glowing on the entire road and it was glowing into my car. And I thought about that as I drove away going, man, that, that thing was mundane. That wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be some brilliant gold jewelry or something like that, diamond. And it was a reflector sticker. And it was glowing. Do you get the analogy? We're the reflector stickers. We are. We're nothing on our own. Nothing on our own. We have no value on our own. But when we reflect the glory of Jesus Christ, we glow. We shine brilliantly. 
and the world sees Jesus. If Jesus is your everything and you understand that today, here's four things, four things that we should do before we close. This is our application. Number one, which again sounds hard and sounds ridiculous to some, but to us it should seem obvious. Number one is lay your life down for him. He is your life. He is your life. He is the author of your life. He is the sustainer of your life. He is your redeemer. Lay your life down for Jesus. Your life is not yours anymore. It's his to do with what he wants to. Number two is learn his will. Learn what he wants. Learn what he desires. Number three, trust his plan. That's never been more pertinent than it is right now. Trust the plan and trust the process. This week did not shake up God's sovereign will, did it? It is perfectly as it's going to be, no matter what happens in America. And number four, obey his commandments. Because he has commandments. Make those commandments your singular duty every single day. Guys, if we do those four things, one day we are going to be exalted like Jesus is. One day he's going to take his inheritance that he rightly deserves and he's going to give it to you and to me. He's going to share his glory and his inheritance, which we don't deserve. He's going to give it to us. Because we and him are one if those four things are in our life. I want you to love the precious hands of Jesus. I want you to kiss the precious hands of Jesus by obeying him. And then I want us all to be the hands of Jesus upon the earth because that's how others see the brilliance and the beauty of our Lord. Can we pray? Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending your son to this earth to die, to redeem us, to shepherd us, to guide us, to give us hope when we were entirely hopeless. We remember Jesus today, and we thank you for him. Help us, Lord, to go further and greater in our minds and our devotion and allegiance to him and say, I don't care what others are doing. I get it, and I know him, and he gets all of me. As we pause and remember him during communion, I pray that you glorify yourself in this hour because this was your plan and we give you the glory for it. And we thank you for Jesus Christ today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.